The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Hey, um, I do want to mention uh, with the Super Bowl today, uh, go Pats. So I just want to get that, uh, get that out of the way. Go, go Patriots. And so, you know, there are exit doors, two to the front, two to the side, two to the back. And uh, yep, well, uh, and there are pink slips as well. So at least, at least for a couple of you, so whatever. But uh, anyway, okay, here's the thing though. Okay, time out. I never liked you. Um, okay, but my thing is this. How can I root for a team in my division to win the Super Bowl? Because they're only going to have more swagger and more clout about who they are as the Rams. So I feel forced to root for the Patriots. So I'm rooting for the Patriots. And all, the other part of it is Tom Brady is not a cheater, you guys. So there's that. But anyway, um, okay, we're going to move on and <clears throat> talk about Jesus because then you all just have to listen. But... Um, Hey, we're in a series called Life Multiplied, and uh, today's part four. We always encourage you, if you miss a message, you can go back and you can listen and you can watch as well online. Uh, Just go to grove.church and you can click on the media link. Um, So I encourage you to do that. But part four today, we're going to be in Matthew 19, but the truth is we'll be there briefly, and I've got a few other verses I'm actually going to be talking about, um, so we'll be a few different spots. I don't think this is news to anybody in the room but um, God created us for community. And, and our lives are meant to be spent in relationship with other people. And, and so I want to talk about this just for a few moments, and I've given it kind of categories, but there are, for all of us, nominal sort of relationships. And, and those are people that, that maybe you have a mechanic that you would take your car to if your car has an issue. You don't necessarily know them, but they're the person that you sort of go to. And so there's something more than just a stranger uh, than that. Or, or, or it's the checker, maybe at the grocery store that you tend to visit, that that's the person who you know, always kind of pass through and, and you don't know them well, but, but you're aware of them more than just a stranger. So nominal relationships. Then there's acquaintances. And acquaintances is maybe a, a step further and that's people that you maybe regularly see at the gym and you've begun to get to know, or maybe at the park and you met you know, a new couple there or whatever, um, or, or uh, maybe you, you work in a larger business where there's work groups and so you know people work at the same place you work at, but you don't necessarily know them, but it's more than just you know, nominal. So uh, acquaintances. And then there's friendships. And of course, we all know that friendships can vary in degree. There, there's kind of the thing where like for me, I'm blessed. I have you know, a, a deep friendship. I would say like a best friend that I grew up with and we go to the same church together and, and, and still enjoy that friendship and that relationship. And we know a lot about each other. Some of it not so great from being idiot kids and some of it amazing because we're perfect now. But anyway, um, and so you know, there, there's different kind of degrees of friendship. Even people that maybe, and I love hearing these stories the last few weeks, jumped into life groups for the first time, are getting to know people within the groups, which means building that community within a church setting like this. And so I love, you know, that kind of thing. So friendships, and they vary. And then there's family relationships. And in a lot of ways, friendships and family relationships can have similarities where you know somebody really well. But in family relationships, it's the aunts and uncles or grandparents or, you know, relatives, cousins kind of thing. And and again, those can vary 
as well. Sometimes it's, it's you know, age-related, there's similar ages and you grew up together, or there's distance where you have relatives but they live on the East Coast or maybe another country or somewhere a bit further away where it's not like a real tight family relationship, but, but there's relation. And, and then there's immediate family, which would be, you know, moms and dads and, you know, the kids and stuff and kind of immediate family. But finally, there's marriage. And, and the first thing you maybe would take note of as you're thinking about this whole picture is that the list gets shorter and shorter, you know, on all the way down as far as like you may have hundreds of nominal relationships, people that you pass by kind of regularly. They're not strangers, but they're not, you know, and, and so, and then acquaintances, the list gets a bit shorter. And then friendships, the list gets shorter. <clears throat> family, of course, relatives, immediate family. And then marriage. And, and God's design was meant to be one relationship between two people. And in part four of Life Multiplied, I want to take some time today and I want to look at how God designed marriage in this whole picture of sharing life with someone else. How is our life meant to be multiplied because marriage is an important covenant that God has given us? And the reason that we bring this one up, and I think it's super important, is that in the world that we live in, uh, less and less maybe is there a filter of like, what does God want in marriage? Or what is God's design for marriage? And a lot of us, we would say, well, man, you know, maybe we got on a knee and it was said yes and did the engagement and wedding thing because of a feeling or, you know, um, this idea that, well, they make me happy or, or like Jerry Maguire, you, know, you complete me or whatever. And, and really, there, there's a certain danger to understanding from a worldly point of view what marriage is as opposed to what God designed it to be. So we're going to dive in today, and I've got a lot of, of content that I want to get to, but Matthew 19 is where I want to begin. And it says in Matthew 19, starting in verse 4, this is Jesus saying this, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. God, today, I pray as we do each week that your spirit would really work and help us understand the dynamic of this relationship that you call marriage and how important that it is. I pray that, that we wouldn't just check out, but that God, your spirit would work in all of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Another portion I want to mention before we jump in too is that it would be easy maybe to, to, to check out because you go, well, I'm not married. I'm too young for marriage or, well, I've been married, but now I'm divorced. And so I'm kind of in the single world and, and, and whatever. Or maybe you're, you're widowed or you're widower and, and you're not really looking at the lens of like what marriage looks like. But here's what I know. There's a lot of us in here that are married. I'm one of them. There's a lot of us in here that are married. But the other thing is this, every single one of us in this room is impacted by marriage and we'll have the opportunity to, to not only look at marriage as something to look forward to possibly, but also the opportunity to speak into somebody's life. Maybe it's a friendship, maybe it's a family member that's in a marriage and they're going through a rough time and trying to figure out how to navigate what do we do, and you'll have some level of input. And so it's important, I think, for every one of us to listen because every one of us is impacted or will be impacted by this conversation. Jesus jumps in in what I just read and he's dealing with religious leaders who are talking about divorce. And, and his response is to their question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? In short answer, he's saying no. He, he gives a couple of sentences, but in short answer, he's saying no, it is not lawful to do that. 
And what happens is, there's a little more to what he's saying. First of all, he's confirming the original design of marriage. The original design going all the way back to Genesis. And in chapter 2, we read that a man and woman are designed to come out from the covering of their previous authority, especially on that day, it would have been parents, to come out from other forms of authority and put their lives in one another's hands. So he's confirming that design. The second thing he's doing is he's reminding us that when you bring two people together in marriage, the goal is not that it's two people in marriage. The goal is that it's one. And that's where when he says what he says, it's super important. And this is where it gets challenging for all of us because it's no easy task to bring two individuals together that have family histories and personal backgrounds and their own personalities, and there's the gender kind of difference, men are from Mars, women are from Venus kind of thing, the expectations of marriage, emotions in marriage. And so we're going to talk about this. And I've said for years, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to do, I've said for years, probably the last four years now, one of my favorite books on marriage, and I've read a bunch of them, one of my favorite books on marriage is The Meaning of Marriage by Timothy Keller. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write it down. It's got all kinds of really good content in it. But he makes some points that I want to bring up today that help us achieve God's design for marriage. And the first thing is this. Marriage is uniting two strangers. It goes back to what I said a moment ago, different family histories and personalities and expectations and emotions and all that. And so marriage is uniting two strangers. It doesn't matter how long you've dated before you got married and you think you know everything. I know couples that they dated for like a week or two or three and got engaged and not too long after that married. and They've been celebrating 30 and 40 years of marriage and that's crazy and amazing. And then there's others, like Heather and I, we dated for seven years off and on until I finally wrangled her in and made her marry me. But um, not just kidding, that's not the way it happened. Anyway, but, but honestly, like we, we were kind of off and on, but we were together seven years and you could think you know everything, but the truth is this, it doesn't matter how well you know somebody, marriage changes that dynamic and you're learning things all the time. And there's things that we're surprised by. But here's the other part, you and I, as a matter of time, are always undergoing change. There's experiences that we have. There, there's understandings that we, we, we begin to pick up. There's things that we learn in, in marriage and outside of marriage that, that we look at life, and we are changing as time goes on. It's why some of us in the room have used this sentence when we're talking to our spouse. I feel like I don't know you anymore. Anybody? Yeah, and, and so there's that. But there's also the simple fact that we've thought to ourselves, I don't know myself anymore. And so there's that whole picture of marriage is about uniting two strangers, which leads to this point right here. Marriage is glorious, but hard. There's amazing things about marriage. There's incredible opportunities with that intimacy and the kind of love that we have together, but marriage is hard. So I want everybody to repeat after me. Everybody say marriage is glorious, but hard. And that applies to everyone. We all know that the honeymoon doesn't last. We all know that over a, a short period of time in regard to 50 or 60 possible years of marriage, that the honeymoon period ends. There comes a day where you're not waking up making out to Barry White. <laughs> Girl, you know I love you. Anyway, so but, well, stop there, okay? 
It is difficult, but it's also rewarding. In every ceremony the last few years that I've performed, there's a quote that I use from this book, uh, Timothy Keller writes. And honestly, there's couples in here that I perform your ceremony, and you remember me reading this because I feel like this is so important. And, And here's the quote. A good marriage is more painfully hard to achieve than athletic or artistic prowess. Raw, natural talent does not enable you to play baseball as a pro or write great literature without enduring discipline and enormous work. Why would it be easy to live lovingly and well with another human being in, what, in, in light of what is so profoundly wrong within our human nature? He's talking about sin and the battle of selfishness that you and I face all the time. Okay, he goes on to say this, if God had the gospel of Jesus' salvation in mind when he established marriage, then marriage only works to the degree that approximates the pattern of God's self-giving love in Christ. In layman's terms, because that can lose some of you, in layman's terms, what he's saying is marriage only works if we're looking through the lens of our ability to put the other person before ourselves, to look at this, which is going to lead to another point here, but but look through the lens of how do I esteem them? How do I lift them up? How do I meet them where they're at and encourage and help them? Not about me, myself, and I. Paul says, and this is quoting from the book, Paul says, do for your spouse what God did for you in Jesus, and the rest will follow. Which then leads to, we're saying marriage is glorious but hard, but then leads to marriage requires mutual grace. Marriage requires mutual grace. I've always loved how Paul writes as he's writing to the letter, a letter to the church at Colossae. If you're taking notes, Colossians 3.13 says this, make room for each other's faults. And I love that across the board in any relationship. But I love it especially in marriage because here's a simple fact that we all need to understand. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. We we get into marriage and and, and we have certain expectations and we sit back and go, I didn't know they were going to chew their gum like that. I don't understand why the hamper's over here and the socks are six feet away. Couldn't they just go in the hamper? Why is this so difficult? Here's a few things about me that are backwards, okay? I pour my milk first when I eat cereal. And you gasp, and you judge, and you act like I'm the lesser person. How dare you? I pour my milk first. Do you know why? Because I hate soggy cereal. And so I pour the milk, and then I pour a little bit of cereal at a time, and it's never soggy! Because soggy cereal is disgusting. I pour my milk first. For some reason, I only like Dixon Ticonderoga number two real wood pencils. I like the shower squeegee. We have a shower with the glass wall and the door. I like the shower squeegee at the back when I'm done squeegeeing. My wife, every time she takes a shower, does the squeegee thing and puts it right under the spigot right here, right there. I, don't, I like it in the back, so we've never talked about this, and she's sitting in here right now, and I'm not even looking. <laughs> I don't know why. 
my way's the right way. And I haven't said a word because at some point she's going to get it. No, but for real, we've never talked about this. And I don't, it doesn't, who cares? But it's hilarious that every time she showers, there it is. And every time I shower, it's over here. Every time, I don't know why. I want the blinds opened right away in the morning. Let some sort of sunlight in, cloud light in, snow light in, whatever. I probably, in fact, no joke, I probably have restless leg syndrome. And when I was going over my notes this morning for today, my leg was bouncing up and down. I have restless leg syndrome. I, I, I throw out snarky comments throughout every Hallmark Channel movie. I do, all the way through, because here's the deal. There's going to be some guy or some gal that works for some big conglomerate in a big city, and they decide to go to their pretty little town they never should have left that belongs in a magazine where they run into the local lumberjack or whatever, and, and they fall in love, but then they kind of don't, but then they do, and then they live happily ever after. That's every Hallmark Channel movie ever. You don't even have to watch them anymore. Just delete them all. That's what you get. And so we're watching them, and I have to like, okay, stop it. Just don't say anything. And then I throw out a comment again. And then now my kids, I'm like, guys, she's trying to watch. Like, I ruin it. And I love the Weather Channel. I do. I love watching what's going on. The Midwest had like negative 60 temperatures, and somebody dared me on Facebook to comment about how it was 43 the other day. I'm like, all right. Like, I got people from the Midwest going, you don't understand how cold it is. I'm sorry. I love the Weather Channel. My wife swears I have a man crush on Jim Cantore, and I do. <laughs> I think it's amazing at what he does. I've never seen somebody get so excited about weather besides me. So when I get fired from this job, <laughs> just kidding. Okay, let me just say it again, though. Make room for each other's faults because none of us are perfect. We all have our little weird things. We all have stuff that the other person doesn't like. And by the way, if all you do is fixate on all that you don't like instead of the things that are actually good, it's amazing how that becomes the demise of your marriage. Okay, which leads to then this, the fourth thing. Marriage revolves around service. And this is a big one because over and over, like I've said, we, we think somehow, well, if I, get if I get married, that'll complete me. We, we think things like, man, if, you know, marriage is about making me happy. And I am warning you, even though this is not popular to say, I am warning you that that is a terribly unhealthy view of marriage. It's not, listen, it's not that marriage is supposed to make you miserable because it would be easy to go, well, if it's not making me happy, then I must be miserable. No, no, no. What it's meant to do is help you, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, become more like Christ, and that's a good thing. But, but if we don't understand the element of marriage is about serving one another, then we begin to miss where God wants us to go in marriage. Okay, I said last week, but I want you to think through the lens of marriage today. I said last week that sometimes we get this idea that if I could have what I want, when I want, and how I want, and if I got my way, then I would finally be happy. And we think that sometimes. We really do. But when you meet people that all they get is their own way and get what they want and do what they want when they want to do it, what kind of people are they? And do we enjoy being around them? And the easy answer is no, they're becoming monsters. And marriage, it's the same thing. And somehow we think that about all these other relationships, but we don't look at our lives through the lens of marriage in that same conversation. 
Marriage is about how we can serve one another. In fact, a great definition for love that you should write down, it didn't originate with me, is this. An unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. Instead of being on our high horse about what we want and what we think, it's an unconditional commitment. I'm in this. We, we, and I've, I've read some of these verses the last few weeks, but we, we hear verses from the Bible that, that we like, but we should also think through the lens of marriage. And so I want you to hear these verses, and I want you to think through what marriage looks like, whether you're married or you're not yet married, or there's maybe future marriage, or you're around marriages. Think about this. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. John 15, 12. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for their friends. Think about that in the, through the lens of marriage. Okay, Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And finally, Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility esteem others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Is your marriage marked by grace and service? If you're looking at marriage someday in the future, if you're engaged or it's a ways out, you're not sure. Do you look at marriage and think about what it looks like for you to live graciously with an attitude of a servant's heart in it? Because like I said, a lot of us, as we, we romanticize marriage, it's about somehow fulfilling my needs. It's about somehow doing something for me that will complete me. Instead of looking through the lens of what would it look like for me to have a Christ-centered marriage where I'm looking to serve the other, to put the other before myself. <clears throat> Another one, number five here, marriage is a covenant of action. Covenant meaning, like Jesus said, that, that the two are meant to become one. And the debate in Jesus' day that they're trying to work with him on or trap him with is, is you know, is, is it that we can just divorce whenever? Because Moses said you could be divorced. And, and Jesus is talking about your hearts are hard. You're missing it. In marriage, it's a covenant, meaning it's a binding contract. One of the things I say in, in ceremonies, when I perform ceremonies, and it's probably, you know, world famous, I guess, but it's this idea, till death do us part. That we're one. We're not meant to part ways. And I'm not here to condemn a bunch of people because things have gone south and you're into a second marriage or whatever. I'm just simply here to say, when we get into a marriage, the idea is it's meant to be permanent. That's a covenant. We're becoming one. But listen, it's a covenant of action. What does that mean? It means that it changes how we exist. It changes how we make decisions. It changes the fact that we're responsible for another individual. And then eventually if kids come along, all of that, not just the lens of who am I and what do I want? It's a covenant of action. And listen, we live in a world today where there is less and less clarity about how marriage ought to work and what the boundaries of marriage ought to include. When I sit down with certain couples that are struggling with certain things and having conversations about what's going on, sometimes I'm surprised that certain things that maybe some of us that are a little older take for granted that, you know, like for instance, there's couples nowadays, I've heard more and more and I've talked with them about, well, you know, we're going through a rough time. Whatever. Well, he, he just does, doesn't come home. What do you mean? Like he's late? No, no, he didn't come home at all. He didn't call you and tell you like what? No, no, he just, that's just something that we've done since, you know, the beginning of our marriage. Wait, what? You just don't come home? 
And they're, it's like they're acting like they're single and, and, and out there roaming around, they're dating. In dating world, yeah, you go home. In dating world, you go other places and you don't have to worry so much. When you're married, what would make anybody think that you just don't show up one night and that's just how it goes? But again, no foundation for, for what a healthy marriage could look like. And that hasn't been one time recently, by the way. Multiple times. Like, what? Well, we got in a fight, whatever, and they just quit coming home. Uh, other things. It changes how we interact with other people. Obviously, one of the clear ones ought to be we don't look for romance or sexual outlets in any other people. We're married. That's the covenant that romance, the outlet that God gives us for romance. That's it. I mean, go, boy, that's tough. Well, you know what? It's also amazing when you're committed. It's also incredible and fulfilling when you're not looking around wondering. We respect communication. Simple examples are when you're running late, call and say it or text. If we hurt somebody, we apologize. When we're making purchases, we discuss it with the other person. I love Christmas car commercials. Because it's about some person who drives up into a snowy driveway with a gigantic bow and rings the doorbell and hands keys to their significant other. Do you know how that would go in my marriage? And I don't just mean me dry as she did. I'd be in the same way like, what? You just saddled us to a $700 car payment. And yet on the commercial, like, ah, oh, da, 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 you know, holidays to remember or whatever. Oh, I'll remember this one, but it won't go because of that. Right? Okay, okay, okay. But you go, well, wait a minute. What if they maybe have 30,000 or 40 or 50? I think you just go ahead and do that. If you got 30 or 40 or 50,000 your spouse doesn't know about, there's a whole nother problem. <laughs> right? It's like you see the commercials, oh, how great is that? I remember the, the, the GMC one this year. It was funny, but I, my first thought was this in the driveway, a gorgeous home, and in the driveway was a brand new pickup and a brand new SUV. And the gal comes out and she's all excited about the truck, and he's like, oh, the truck, well, wait, anyway. But my thought was, that's got to be like $1,600 in car payments. That's trouble where I come from. Communicating. And we, again, the TV or media or romanticized stuff like that, like, just try it. I dare you. It's like, you driving that back right now. Get in your car and bring it back there. Tell them what happened. You want? I lost my deposit anyway, so we'll just... Marriage has a sanctifying mission. And that can sound so like, I don't understand that. Here's what he's saying. This is Timothy Keller. Again, this is not a bunch of content that's mine. This comes out of the book. But marriage has a sanctifying mission, meaning this. The longer we're in marriage, the more it ought to make us more like Christ. That's that sanct it's, it's that idea, and I've said it this way before, and I, I'm pretty sure it came out of the book, that for you and I, when we live in such close proximity to somebody else, it rubs off the rough edges. I am a far better person today than being married to my wife than I would be if I was single because I'm not looking through the lens of what do I want to do with my life, what do I think about my goals and what I should accomplish, or, or what am I mad about and how do I want to rant and go get in a fight or whatever. No, no, whoa, what is that going to do to my marriage? What is this decision in a heat of passion, a heat of frustration, heat of whatever, a need to splurge on something and buy or through the lens of how will this impact the fact that we have a great marriage if I make this decision? How will this impact? And of course, as it comes along, the kids that are involved in our family. And so it, it, it helps us make decisions, not just based on what I want, what I need, what I think. 
but based on what's going on in my world bigger than me. And see, that's part of the beauty of marriage because in the world we live in, you hear things all, and you've probably heard these like I have. Marriage is just a binding piece of paper with some weird contract that's from thousands of years ago. If you're, if you want to love each other, just love each other. Who has to ever get married? And that argument is so petty simply because part of the idea of making that covenant commitment is allowing your partner to live in a relationship where they can be secure and only when they're secure can they become who God wants them to be. You don't operate well when you live in insecurity. I don't operate well when I live in insecurity. And part of understanding the covenant of marriage is I love you till death do us part. And so we're going to get through this come hell or high water. And I'm not swearing. I'm just simply saying that's the commitment we're making because I want you to become all you can be. It's a sanctifying mission. And finally, and I'm going to wrap this up, marriage is not the end-all be-all. I've already mentioned it, and so I got ahead of myself a little bit. But if, if, if this idea that, man, I'm getting married to, to complete me, Jerry Maguire or whatever, if I'm getting, you know, I'm getting married because you're going to make me happy, I'm getting married because somehow my identity is wrapped up and now I have a ring on and that makes me a whole person, we're missing it. That is not why we get married. And again, in our world, that's not very popular to say, but that's also why people would say, isn't it just a piece of paper that's a strict contract? See, as followers of Christ, and many of us in here would say we're followers of Christ. As followers of Christ, this sounds so cliche, but listen, we find our identity and fulfillment in Christ first. And listen, from the comfort and the confidence that we have through Christ we can securely be married and enjoy romance and friendship and, and all of the challenges that marriage brings with it. Otherwise, our joy and peace and hope and confidence rise and fall with how our spouse is doing from one moment to the next. <clears throat> one of the, the greatest thoughts I have, and I'm, I'm wrapping it up here, is that people are watching. And I don't, I don't have a great marriage to perform for people. But I realize that, listen, people are always watching. That goes for you just as well as it goes for my wife and I. When I go to a restaurant and we're hanging out, people are watching whether we notice or not. When you go where you go and you're hanging out together, people are watching. The other layer is that you got family that are watching. And marriage is meant to be a reflection of Christ's love for the church. Ephesians 5, if you want to take notes, write that down. That's a big one on marriage, Ephesians 5. But Paul equates that parallel that me and my spouse is a reflection of Christ and the church. And so my, my marriage is a witness to family members I'm praying for. My marriage is a witness to people that I want to see Jesus. And if I just cuss her out and yell and berate her or whatever, what do people think of the Lord? What do people think of God? Well, that's what really... But on top of that, and this is always the clincher for me, my kids are watching. I got four kids that are watching. And as much as I want them to say, oh, gross, when I'm making out with her in the kitchen, at the end of the day, I also want them to think this, I want a great marriage like that. I want my girls to think, I want a man that treats my mom like my dad does. I want my boys to be aware that they want a woman that carries herself the way that my wife does. I want them to be able, listen, to be able to identify a healthy marriage so they have a far better chance of having one someday. And so I feel that weight all the time. I'm going to end with this, and this is a quote 
from the book. Whether we are husband or wife, we are not to live for ourselves, but for the other. And that is the hardest yet single most important function of being a husband or wife. Paul is applying to marriage a general principle about the Christian life, namely that all Christians who really understand the gospel undergo a radical change in the way they relate to people. And so I'm going to read this last thing, and it's just a quote from Jesus in Matthew 16, verse 24 and 25, with the idea of, yes, the gospel of Christ in mind, but also through the lens of marriage. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Marriage in the right context becomes life multiplied. We become who Christ wants us to become. And that's where, at the core, as I've said in the series, that's where we experience that abundant life Jesus talks about in John 10, verse 10. Father, today... God, for all of us, we're impacted by how marriage happens around us, whether it's the one that we're in or the one that we observe, whether it's the one that's in our family lineage and there's celebrations of anniversaries or there's a litany of divorce and a lot of brokenness, we are learning about marriage. And it's not that we sit here, anybody in this room condemned for where they're at. It's just simply realizing for some of us that are specifically in a marriage, that God were to live differently than make me happy, differently than here's what I want. But God, what it means to lay down our own selves, that the other person can become who they're called to be, that that's the beauty of marriage and it's not easy. And I pray for some in this room that are experiencing the, the, the friction and the challenge of, yeah, marriage is hard. But God, I pray that they would pay the price of the work to get to where it becomes beautiful because it will. God, for some that are pre-marriage, maybe they're engaged, they're dating, maybe they're younger and aren't really looking at marriage, that God, instead of thinking about what marriage will do to fulfill them, I pray in a message like this, they would begin to look at marriage and think about what it means to serve, what it means to put somebody else above our own selves. And God, for some that are navigating divorce or have experienced divorce, that God, you'd surround them. And then, Lord, where maybe they feel like that scarlet letter moment, that thing where they're, they're ashamed or that this isn't what they ever expected and life hurts and it's broken. God, I pray for healing. God, I pray for strength. Lord, I pray for some, and whether it's widows, widowers, or those individuals that have influence on other marriages, God, I pray for wisdom. Jesus, it's so easy to drink the Kool-Aid of so many things that our world has to say about marriage. And it's romanticized and it feels good. But God, it doesn't lead to the right things. And I pray that, Lord, we would challenge ourselves, even as we're we're individuals that would read Scripture, challenge ourselves about how to live that others can become more like Christ with whatever we would do or say. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.